know, you know, I appreciate the show, right? You know, I enjoy it, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, we're we're skeptical <laughs> that anybody enjoys the show, Ali. <laughs> This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to yet another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. I am Rob Minot with a cold, and joining me in the Guitar Dungeon, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Good day. And there is no Steve Barkley because Mr. Steve Barkley is down with a stomach bug. Uh, so, stepping into his big shoes. Clown shoes. We have Mr. Ali Musa, who is, uh, Ryan, who is Ali? Allie is our number one fan of the show. We get more email from Allie. We appreciate him joining today. He gives us great feedback on how we can improve the show. And Allie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Ryan. Uh, I am the co-facilitator of the of the CNIB uh, Western Ontario Ontario West Region Tech Talk. Oh, really? Yep. I am uh, a vol- I'm volunteering I'm a, as a volunteer with them. I um, we do it. Uh, we're doing in uh, every second week. We do in uh, a tech talk. Fantastic. So, uh, so where are you exactly? I'm in Cambridge, Ontario. Excellent. And how do you do, how do you like doing that? The the co-facilitator. Do you know what? I really love it. I really enjoy it because um, as like being as enthusi- like being very enthusiastic about technology. Um, it's a great opportunity for me to kind of, you know, to kind of, because I have all these the skills of how to do certain things on the iPhone and Mac and et cetera. So, you know, being able to share that knowledge with others is just fantastic. You know, when they ask me a question on, um, on how to do something, on how to do a particular task, you know, it, it's just one of those that I just feel, you know, if I can help them out and say, this is how you do it, you know, I'm happy that they were able to get their, um, get their, uh, problem solved and you know at the same time just be happy about that i was able to help them solve it yeah i mean yeah we um we experience that all the time i mean especially ryan ryan's you know always uh reaching out to people and and giving them a hand with different technical issues with their with their uh, devices or their software so you know it does feel really good to to be able to step in and and uh, give them a hand and, and get their stuff working the way that it's supposed to and, um, and Ryan, maybe you can comment a little bit on this as well here. That I find that um, that it may take for some, like for some users that aren't as comfortable or aren't as familiar with the with their devices, it might take a few attempts to, you know, get them to, you know, to help them adjust the setting or, you know, to go to this particular menu or that sort of thing. Yeah, in in my years of, of doing training and tech support. Not everybody learns the same way, so you need to be able to adapt your methods and, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I, yeah, like I think it's important, like in general, for you know, for representatives to be aware of it. 
Well, the tricky part too, with especially with with you know the growing number of, of operating systems and and devices, um, and and the actual software themselves, uh, it can be tricky to to get them all to to play well together. Absolutely, definitely. Yep, that that's always a uh, bit of a factor in that sort of thing. Excellent. Okay. Well, Ryan, Rob, uh, what are we doing today? Today is our monthly news show. So we have a bunch of topics we're going to throw it against the wall and see what sticks, and hopefully you enjoy it. All right. Well, I've got my uh, Braille display. I've got my Braille display connected as well to my Mac, so I'm all ready to go here. Oh yes, Mr. Apple. I uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that. Yeah, we have. We <laughs> we have at length. <laughs> Uh, you know what? And yeah. you know what? I just I'm just noticing looking at this list, we don't even have any Apple stories. I know. We got nothing. No, that's okay. We got nothing this that's week, okay. sir. No, no, that, that's okay. Dang it. Um, no, no, that's fine. Don't worry. No worries. Okay. First, this this was an interesting story. Uh, man sues Microsoft seeking new copy of Windows 7 after forced Windows upgrade. Now, I thought this would be really appropriate for you, Rob, who's just finished fighting your computer with yeah, Windows 10. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is really, uh, this, I feel this guy's pain. Absolutely. Um, although it's, it's a bit ridiculous because this guy's, this guy's demanding $600 million in damages. I'd like to know where they get those numbers or, from. <laughs> or a fresh copy of Windows 7. Yeah. <laughs> so, according... So, as the story goes, it says, according to a civil complaint filed last week on February 14th, Frank K. Dick Dickman Jr. of Albuquerque, New Mexico, is suing Microsoft because of a botched forced Windows 10 upgrade. Uh, I guess he owns an Asus laptop, uh, which has an OEM license for Windows 7. The computer was upgraded to Windows version 10 and became non-functional immediately. Uh, so, um, he's suing Microsoft. For a stupid amount of money, well, six hundred million. Uh, you know that'll that'll uh, that'll fix a lot of your problems. <laughs> but I mean, uh, you know, obviously, you know, obviously, this is this is not a. Well, if you read further down, there's also others, isn't there? A class action suit against Microsoft. Yeah, that when that, I think that was behind. That was. Um, let's see. Do 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 do. Oops, that's. That's right. Uh, in March, March, several users filed a lawsuit seeking class action status against Microsoft, also soliciting monetary damages after suffering botched Windows 7 to Windows 10 forced upgrades that left many unable to use their computers. Now, that did happen to a lot of people. Now, you know, to give Microsoft credit, in the last two updates, the, the Spring Creators update and the Fall Creators update, the rollout has gone much, much smoother than it did with the original version of Windows 10. So I think Microsoft has, has learned their lessons and smoothed that all out. And I have a feeling this is just going to settle out of court. Microsoft's just, you know, they're not going to spend the time and money to go to court. They're just going to give this guy pretty much what he wants. Which is a Windows 7 disk. Windows 7 disk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. Here you go. Um, you guys make some good, you guys make a lot of good points. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to jump no, 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 jump right in. Jump right in, Allie. Um, you guys are, have, uh, have made a lot of great comments on, um, and I like what you have to say uh, on this. Um, on this, but I, I kind of feel, in a way, that lawsuits are sort of, in this case especially, are unnecessary because, I mean, like uh, it's important because you, the person has to be aware that that if, that what 
first of all, what are the requirements? Like, uh, because that, I, if I remember correctly, the he was using a Windows Seven machine. That's right. And so, and he knew that eventually that this was going to probably happen, right? And that, you know, I think that he should have been aware or take the necessary steps. Either get an either if he was able to get a new computer to get a new computer, or just kind of say, well, you know, this is what I'm faced with, and I think I have to take some steps to get it all together, basically. Well, I think one of the big, 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 big problems with the rollout of Windows 10 is that it was forced upon a lot of people. You'd wake up one morning and your computer was running Windows 10, or it was bricked and you couldn't go back. So it was a forced update. Yeah, I think that that's, that's, I think, where the important part of the lawsuit, I think, is the message that that will eventually send to Microsoft, in, in, which is the idea of, of a forced upgrade, I think, is a, is a bad one. It's a bad one for users. Um, and it's especially a bad one when you factor in, you know, people who maybe be using some sort of assistive technology because... Assistive technology, you know, the software is is very fickle. That's a big one right there. Right, That's a and, big and one so right some there in that event. No, yeah. So somebody who's maybe using something like say Zoom Text, for example. Um, yep. That 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 like that particular yep. version of Zoom Text may only work on Windows Seven because it was bought for Windows Seven. So all of a sudden, the guy comes back to his laptop and he's now running Windows Ten, and now his his Zoom Text is not going to work on that computer. So. You know, in that sense, That's like right forced too. people should ha- should be have some sort of level of control over w- whether they want a new version of Windows. Now, the one thing, yeah, that keep... I agree with. That I agree because no, in looking at it from that sense, yeah, not everybody is not everybody is current with their um, with their assistive technology like Jaws and That's right. text. I mean, if you're using, I mean. I mean, if you're using NVDA, then you could be easily be, you could easily stay current. But um, with those, of course, a lot of people are using both of those, JAWS and ZoomText. So, yeah, and, and, JAWS, and, and JAWS is a great example of that because that's definitely assistive technology that is specifically keyed to a specific version of Windows that if you upgrade your Windows your, and your JAWS is out of date, the only option that you have is to buy the newest version of JAWS, which could be very expensive. Oh, sure, yeah. And I just want to throw in a side question, if I may, here. Go for it. Um, I like, no, we found that a lot of people do not stay current with their, in those particular, with their software, uh, with their software maintenance agreements when it comes to JAWS and things like that. I mean, is that partly because either, let's say they are able to renew it, right? Um. Are they not aware in a lot of cases that it's a good idea to to take advantage of things that are of fixes? Like I'm talking about like for home users, for personal uses. Well, I I think, you know, that the Freedom Scientifics have have done all they can in their podcasts, um, at shows that I've Jonathan Mosin mentions it all the time in there. Make sure you stay current. Yeah, and, and you pretty much need to nowadays... The big con- the big concern is that if you're running Windows 10 Home, you get fo- you get pushed and forced updates from Microsoft automatically. You have no way of deferring those updates for 30 days, 10 days, like you do with professional. 
So if can you, you not turn it like? Can you not turn that off and then like turn no. off automatic updates? Not in Windows Home, no. No, and, and oh, even no? no, and even even um, Windows Pro, uh, I I was not able to do it either. So I mean, Windows really they they Microsoft has really locked down on the or have really removed a lot of the control that that a user has um, on updates. The la- yeah, and um, um, the last time I used I used Windows back in the back in um, when Windows Seven was more prevalent, like back a few years ago, before before I switched to the Mac, and I remember in those days you could turn off automatic updates That's and right. choose when you can when you can do when you want to do it now you can do that on the mac too which is what i've i've actually done because i want to be able to do it when i when i want to do it let me decide when to do it you know what i mean yeah and i think you know with windows 10 professional you know you can tell it that you're on a metered connection and, and download only at this particular time you can tell it i think you can schedule it when to restart so it doesn't just reboot on you automatically if an update comes down. But I think the thing to keep in mind is that all of these software developers like VFO, like Dolphin, um, AI Squared, you know, they all say they work closely with Microsoft to make things more and more accessible. Yep. So, you know, in the next, while well, we're going to March now, the next update of Windows 10 is due to be released in March or April. So Freedom Scientific and all these manufacturers are speedily trying to get their software programs beta tested so that when the next rollout comes out, that they're ready to go. And that seems to be like that is also um, a challenge a little bit as well. And for those guys, unless they're uh, ready. No, like I mean, we're also now, I know this is a completely unrelated topic, but I just wanted to kind of throw my comments in on it anyway, if that's okay. Sure. Um, the AT, like we're seeing a lot of changes now in the AT industry. Like we're seeing now, I mean, of things like VFO now has pretty much acquired a lot of these other, a lot of these smaller, um, you know, companies like AI squared and things. Is that just a sign that this, that the AT industry, do you think is just kind of going with the mainstream now of all of this, of these acquisitions and things? Yeah, I think, you know, it. it's kind of confusing for a lot of people. And, you know, for myself as well, who has been a JAWS user since JAWS 3.2, um, you know, Freedom Scientific had their flagship products, JAWS and Magic. You know, the only reason I can see that they bought AI Squared was because they realized their own screen magnification product, Magic, was either inferior to Zoom Text, or it just didn't make sense in the development cycle to keep doing it the way they were doing it. So, you know, now that they've bought AI Squared, they've rolled JAWS into Zoom Text Fusion. Um, they've also changed the scheme you use in Zoom Text for authorization. So it's now ILM. It's not a serial number-based activation system. Um, you know, when they bought GW Micro, they got rid of Window Eyes. You know, it's it's almost like they're becoming the one-stop shop for everybody in the AT industry. You know, we're seeing Braille display companies, you know, go out of business in the U.S. You know, Bomb, for example, 
Yeah, that was a huge one. I just actually finished uh, listening to a um, an, um, the, a podcast on it. Um, yeah, last night that where they where they had an interview, which um, and where they talked about what happened and why the U.S. closed, why the U.S. office closed, etc. Yeah, so I think you know in, in VFO's interests, they're buying the best players on the market. You know, they bought AI squared for the Zoom text technology. They recently acquired Enhanced Vision Systems because, you yeah. know, hands down, you know, in our experience, nobody makes a better CCTV product than Enhanced Vision Systems. Um, and they have the the development in our in R&D behind them. So it made sense for VFO to do this. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years because really VFO is becoming a monopoly and it's not illegal to be in a be a monopoly, but they're they're going to have a fine line to walk if they just keep buying up competition, because that's what happened to Microsoft. And the other thing is as well. I mean, now there are just like I mean, they obviously they they realize now there are so many choices out there. You know, I mean, you look at you look at you know built-in accessibility. You look at Apple that's built their like VoiceOver and. And even their Zoom magnification into their iDevices and Macs. And now you look, and you also look at now everybody else kind of followed suit. You see Google now they've they've incorporated TalkBack in Android and Amazon in their uh, Fire tablets and thing and, and phones. So I think there ha- there's, I agree with you that there has to be some kind of a fine line now that that VFO is going to have to realize and say, well, you know, come to the realization that we don't want to make it sound like we're the only, that we're the only one or we're the main one that you need to pay attention for. And I think like, and I'm starting to kind of feel that that's what we're seeing in a way that they're trying to say that, hey, we're the ones that you need to watch out for. We're buying everybody and that sort of thing. I mean, what do you guys think? I think that I feel that that's what they're tr- they're doing right now is just acquiring everybody and then saying hey you know just why don't we you be our one stop shop kind of thing you know we're your one stop shop and you know you come to us first. The only advantage I see is that you know VFO Freedom Scientific, you know they've got all the corporate enterprise customers that have bought into their ecosystem, bought into the Jaws software. You know there's been scripts especially written to work with systems that weren't accessible before. NVDA, because it's open source, a lot of companies in enterprise will not allow open source products in their, in their enterprise systems, in their IT departments. If Microsoft can continue the pace they're going with Narrator and keep building in functionality, I think you know in another year or two, it could be a viable alternative for people. And it's free. It's built in. Yeah. Yeah. So they're taking the voiceover approach with that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what what happens, you know, what the landscape looks like. And that, you know, this, they could be forward thinking, you know, trying to sort of anticipate the day when um, there's going to be a lot of accessibility functionality built right into to um, operating systems like Android and um, and Windows and <clears throat> and iOS and um you know they they and mac of course as well of course yeah and so you know their their position as sort of the go to assistive uh, software may be threatened 
So maybe it could be just that you're, they're trying to sort of, co- you know, they're trying to sort of amass like as much under one umbrella as they can in order to sort of have a lot of eggs in one basket. And certainly like when I first started with, um, you know, getting into, when I, when I first started getting into technology, which, which, um, about, uh, which was almost 10 years ago, I mean, no, a little over about 12, because, you know, I started with JAWS, of course, that was back in the XP days. I started with JAWS and, uh, and then I, um, and then of course I, um, moved into the Mac. Like I got, then I went to Windows 7 after that. And then I got into the Mac because, um, I wanted to, because, you know, being some little, I like to play around and see what, what works kind of thing. And, uh, so then I got into the Mac and, and I've been enjoying it ever since. So I'm going to throw this out there. How did we go from lawsuit to AT companies? Okay, yeah, no, okay, hold on. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm spinning no, it back. You know I'm spinning I, it back. I, I, All right. No, no, no worries. No worries, Ali. This is, no, this I, is, I apologize. No, no this I is how we do it. No, we just go. So. Sometimes sometimes you get a good conversation yeah. out of a, out of a side uh, thing, yeah. so no worries I just at all. To get your, I just wanted to kind of get your perspectives on I want to kind of have a conversation about that with you guys. It's something you guys have touched on before, and mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of, we just, well, just for conversational sake, wanted to put that well, in there. You know the th- the thing about the thing about this forced upgrade issue. I mean, I I think I think it is kind of a big deal. I mean, this lawsuit is is a little bit ludicrous. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit, you know, six hundred million dollars, yeah. or a Windows Seven disk. I mean, it, it's it's literally a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, it it does serve to be underlined that there is a class action suit uh, against Microsoft for this reason. A lot of people are upset. It is a really big inconvenience for people who, like I, I'm a perfect example of this. I've just spent, I've spent three weeks fighting with my computer because of a of the, the the latest big Windows update, the Fall Creators update. My computer kept freezing up during the update process, um, and it wouldn't take the update, and it would keep trying to. It would download the update. It would try to d- install it, and it would freeze up, and I'd have to hard reboot, and then it would roll back to my previous version of Windows, and it just kept constantly doing this. Like two times a day, I would it would go download the newest update, try to install it, and lock my computer up. So it was making my computer virtually unusable, and I went through huge, huge efforts to try to turn off windows updates because i was like well you know what i'm not gonna i don't want to deal with this right now i need i'm i'm trying to do work you know i i I just want to turn off uh, automatic updates so that i can figure this out later and i couldn't i literally couldn't do it and you know i was looking at possibly like just it it was going to brick my computer like there was nothing i could literally do um and eventually I did figure it out that it was an external hard drive that was attached via USB that was locking it up. That's the reason why the, um, the update wasn't working. Um, so I was eventually I sorted it out, but it took three weeks and it took a lot of hassle. And having, not having that control of being able to choose whether or not um, I wanted the, the very latest build of Windows 10 was a real issue for me. Um, and if I hadn't been able to sort it out, I don't know what I would have done. Uh, I think I, I might have just had to buy a new computer, you know, because my yeah. computer's my computer's six years old. I mean, it, it also it it says it's compatible with Windows 10, but the day that it's not, like if it wasn't, if you were running Windows 7, and your computer 
you know, was compatible with Windows 7, but it wasn't for Windows 10. Well, that's a problem because for somebody um, that just gets especially forced into Windows 10. Especially if it's forced on you. Exactly. I mean, if it was something like a, a motherboard incompatibility or something, uh, I would have just been screwed. And I think this guy's, you know, that's suing Microsoft. You know, Windows 7 is getting security updates. It's still supported until 2020. So all Microsoft needs to do is send him a disk, and it should be problem solved. Sure. You know, so... But he shouldn't have to go through that. Like, that's No, he thing. shouldn't. Yeah. But, you know, Microsoft's plan is to kind of go to this subscription-type service now, right? So they roll out updates twice a year, feature updates. And, you know, they, they hopefully have learned from their initial problem. But like you say, Rob, that, you know, the day an update comes down and my computer won't start up or is unusable is the day I'm probably going to have to buy a new computer unless, right. unless I can blow the hard drive away and, and go back to an earlier operating system. But what a, what a nightmare. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And it also, it also serves to mention that, you know, in Germany, Microsoft got uh, in big trouble for this as well. Um, Cause I guess they, it got, it got flagged as anti-consumer and uh, they, they've turned off automatic updates in Germany. So, um, you know, they're, they're definitely getting some pushback for this. And, and I think it's well-deserved because I don't think it serves their their base well at all. And I also don't think it especially affects people who are using assistive technology. And, and I don't think that, you know, especially with Microsoft and their new, you know, push for uh, accessibility, they've been making some great headway in that in that field. This Windows 10 forced update stuff is, is not not great. All right. Well, I think we spent enough time on that one. All right. That was yeah. that was a big. That was a. I, you know, I, I thought that was going to be a, a two minute conversation. <laughs> to, we all had a lot to say about it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure we'll revisit this um, and these things in the future. I'm sure. Well, like I said, the next update of Windows 10 is due to be out in March or April. So. Oh God! I hope I have to go through that nightmare again. <laughs> Unplug your USB drive. Yeah, clearly. I have to remember that. You know, it's funny, and it was it was just, I Googled my problem, and it happened, I saw, I found on one forum board, somebody else who was having the same problem that I was that mentioned a USB drive. Otherwise, I would have been, yeah. I would have been screwed, because certainly the Microsoft knowledge base didn't help at all. Right. Anyways, I'm ranting. Uh, what do we got next? <clears throat> hey, did you see this? Uh, Blindfold Games, uh, Marty's Blindfold Games, our good buddy over there. Building all those um, game apps. Games, yeah. Yeah, he says he, he's now starting to, to work on games that have Braille display support. Yay. Yeah, I'm curious to, to talk to him to see how uh, how hard that is to actually do and, and whether or not he's going to go through his old library and, and uh, continue to develop more of the Braille displays. I think for the games that, you know, would make sense to have Braille, he'll include Braille, like... I think he's got a basketball game. So what are you going to display in Braille for a basketball yeah, game? Is it all is it all just text? Player A dribbles the ball, passes to player B. Like I, I've never played his iOS games because I don't have iOS, so I'm really not sure how they all work. But it'll be interesting to see how many he does do. Yeah, like I'm not a I'm not a game I'm not a um a, um, a game pl like a player of, of games. Um, in general either but it is very interesting to see that he's actually going the that extra mile and 
adding the support, yeah. especially, you know, based on user comments that he's received. Yeah, and I don't think anybody has the number of games for iOS that Marty's put out. No. You know, when we had him on the show, I think he said he can put out a game in two to three days. And so his, his turnout time is really, really fast. So, yeah, we may have to try and get him back on the show to talk about the whole Braille development. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it'd be interesting, though, because... Uh, it's great to see that kind that a developer's going that far to, you know, to provide the support, and it looks like that he's really done based on a great job um, with with um, you know by for, for the blind community of, in terms of the development because especially because of the outpour that came in with that when he had that little exchange with yeah, Apple. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, yeah. When he had that 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 outpour and that how they were willing and then they event they said okay then they lifted it and said okay we're changing our minds about that yeah so that just goes to show that the support and the backing that he had and has i should say from the community and the and the people that's um, right not only the blind but in general though the community in general yeah he does he does have a very good relationship with that community and and like i, I agree i think that 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 really helped in his head, I'm sure, cement that relationship with the community after he, he got all that support. And really, it was the community that um, made Apple sort of back off that. Um, because I'm sure if, if no one had complained and no one had sent any feedback to, to Apple, they would have just said, no, look, you're going to have to bundle all these games together. Right. Um, so good for him. And the other thing I added to these uh, notes here, um, the developer is willing to listen to his customers. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we will be adding Braille support to more of his games. Yeah, it's exciting times. I think if you're in the iOS ecosystem and you want some fully accessible games that have, you know, Braille output, you know, think of somebody that might be deafblind. You know, they're not using voiceover. Voiceover mm -hmm. might be driving the Braille display, but you know they now have some games that they could play using their Braille display. Yeah, you know what, Ryan? We should we should reach out to him because I think we should have him on again because it would be interesting to hear to hear sort of the inside story about all that uh, that Apple story. It would have to. Be be I think it'd, I, I feel it'd be really great. Yeah, see if you can. <clears throat> yeah, you guys can look at getting him on again. Yeah, we will. Okie dokie. Oh, let's see what else. Oh, yeah this this was an interesting blog post um, and something that I didn't realize. Ryan, what did you know that it is illegal to have an inaccessible website in Norway? I read that. Good on Norway. Yeah, I thought this, especially it's, it is interesting after last week's show where we talked to uh, David McDonald from, uh, from the, you know, the web accessibility. And that was a great interview, by the way. Oh, thank you. I um, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, I, I listened to it on uh, on Friday there, and it was it was excellent. Yeah, it was a fascinating interview. Um, yeah. You know, it really you don't really realize how what deep, goes into yeah, and how deep it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you guys? Uh, you guys have had him on before, right? No. 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 That was a, no. that was the first one. No. I think that's very interesting, though that um, that that there's a law um, in place to prevent like. To make 
websites more accessible, uh, to make websites accessible. Yeah, well, it's illegal to not have them um, accessible. Yeah, that's right. I mean, principally, it's it's you know all websites, uh, whether they're they're the public sector or the private sector that were uh, designed after uh, twenty fourteen, they have to follow the WCAG uh, guidelines uh, in Norway. So. You know, what that means and what that sort of spun into is that not only is it is it legislated and, and any company that doesn't adhere to that is fined, uh, but it also results in a lot of bad publicity in that country. Sure. And that's a, that was actually the direction I was going to go. I want to kind of get um, – do you guys really think that – like, do you guys feel that it kind of should be – like, if you look at it from a web designer's point of view, like, do you think it should be forced – on people, I don't know about being. I don't know if I'd say that it should be forced on people. Try and especially understand trying to understand the technicality of it because um, some websites are like it. There's a cost to you know to redesign it, and if it's already designed one way. It, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this at Rob because Rob yeah. has done some web design in the past. And as somebody who has worked with HTML code, really how much more difficult or how much more time intensive is it to add an accessible tag to text or to a graphic? You know, that kind of stuff is, it's nothing. It's, it's nothing to alt tag your, your pictures. It's nothing to um, create your code in terms of like building your page with headers and all that stuff that they talk, that, that David talked about last week. Uh, that's not hard at all. I mean, the, the the place where it gets tricky is is actually not in so much in in you know the front end web design that I dealt with, but it's it's in the web development stuff. It's in the really fancy stuff, right? That's where you get the really visually intricate right. um, interfaces that you know look great, and you know fly out menus and all that kind of stuff. It all looks great, but that can be that needs to be programmed in that accessibility needs to be programmed in right at, at a level that you know not all web developers bother with or maybe even know how because, to do I mean, because um sometimes because you have to make sure because the developer has to make sure that the links are you know clickable like you know that you can press enter on them or v or control option space etc um on them because yeah, sometimes you go to some websites and if you press enter on a link or you press uh, on the Mac side of the, you can press enter on the Mac too, but, and control option or control option space, sometimes the particular links won't activate. Yep. So I think that that, I feel that that's something that developers need to be aware of and need to try to be, to fix. Now, of course, there are ways around, you know, in order, if you need to get access at a link, you can, um, you know, you can root your you can root your mouse over there. Like in the case of the Mac, you could just do a Control Option Command F5, which will put your mouse pointer there, and then you can just do like a mouse click, a VO Shift Space, and that should generally activate the link. Um, and of course, you can use your Jaws cursor and stuff as well. That's another way. So there are ways around it, but I think that it comes back to what we were saying earlier. That of people not in in our intro, there of people not of some maybe not you know that aren't as comfortable with the technology. 
to be able to access a page that they need to access or really need access to. Well, that's exactly it. And, you know, even in this in this blog post, they they <clears throat> they say that, you know, between according to Norwegian statistics, 15 to 20 percent of their population uh, has some sort of a disability. And that number is only going to go up as the as the population ages. So and more and more, more of our life is 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 reliant on, uh, you know, digital on websites and, and online banking and online, you know, everything's moving in, into an online capacity where it's very important for um, components like that to be accessible. Um, people rely on it for, for their from their day to day lives. So. You know, and I th- and I think that the, the the interesting thing about this Norwegian model is that I, I think it solves a lot of problems. I think it makes a lot of sense to just be legislated mm-hmm. uh, and have an agency that specifically looks into it. And if somebody doesn't comply, they get a fine. Well, and there are websites and there are standards. You know, there's Bobby approved, which you can run your website through for for accessible testing, and it'll tell you where you need improvement on. There's the W3C World Wide Web Consortium guidelines. These aren't new. These have been around for years. Well, sure. And so, you know, going forward, there's no reason why a website should be inaccessible to anybody despite your disability. Well, sure. But I mean, yeah. you know, um, the long and the short of it is that that if, you know, there there have to be consequences. Yep. Um, and I think, I think Norway doesn't, like, because, you know, it, it was just last week where we had a bit of a discussion about... Uh, about the litigation yep. and and how you know these these frivolous lawsuits and that's you know we we talked about how in the states they've they've uh, taken out some um, or they've they've sort of weakened the uh, their disability act a little bit. One of our one now, of Rob, our, I'm going to throw this out. Go ahead, Ryan. Go ahead. I was just going to say just going to say one of our previous guests actually took the Canadian government to court and you know got them to redesign their websites. You know, make them accessible. The long and the short of it, Norway. I, I I don't know. I think I think that's the solution to the problem. I think that this is what needs to happen in other countries. Um, you know, if if the idea of litigation and clogging the courts up with frivolous lawsuits, you know, like the one we talked at talked about at the top of the show, this is how you prevent that. You just you just legislate it. Have a, a you know a body that that um, polices it. And just issues out fines for for anyone who's not compliant. Um, seems easy peasy. Well, and as we're coming to learn, um, accessibility favors everybody, not just people with disabilities. Well, that's exactly it. Um, you know, uh, you you know, you're putting captions on on videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that that helps me. Because, you know, I can sit on the train and I can watch a, a video and I don't have to have the sound on. Right. You know, good readability. There's all kinds of, of benefits for everybody the more accessible any given website is. And, you know, the sooner that developers learn that, uh, the better. But Go Norway. Yeah, I should just move to Norway. It's probably cold in the winter. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Actually, I know nothing about Norway other than it's really isn't that where all that's where all the reindeer is? I have reindeer farms and stuff in Norway, right? Uh, Sweden's got a bunch too. <laughs> is Sweden wait? Wow, I know nothing about the Norwegian countries. <laughs> I just realized is Sweden Sweden's like okay. I don't know Sweden's where, up near the Arctic Circle. 
Linda's actually been up there. She has family over there. Oh, really? Yeah. And where's Norway then? In, uh, is it farther I south? Don't know. Yeah, so you don't know either. Ask Google. No, it's not ask Google. <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, what else do we got here? What? What? What's our time like? We are talking up a storm today, Alan. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. No, I appreciate you guys having me on today. Oh, hey, no problem. Uh, do we want to talk about this? Uh, okay, yeah, let's go right to the neuro node. Okay, let's talk about the neuro node. Say that, find it in my notes say that three times fast. The neuro node, no. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Neuro I... node, no, neuro node, no. What is the neuro node? Uh, the neuro node is, uh, now i got to say this word, electromyography. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. Uh, which is more, more commonly known as an EMG. Um, and it's a measurement of electrical activity associated with the activation of a muscle group as detected by non-invasive electrodes on the surface of the skin. So what the neuro node is essentially is, is just, it's a switch. Um, it's like a, a physical access switch, uh, except it's controlled. You'd, you'd put it somewhere on the, on the body and it would, it would, uh, be able to, to um, measure the the muscle movement um, on that particular part of the body, which would then activate the switch, which would allow somebody with, say, Parkinson's or uh, any other limited mobility to do things like operate a, a smartphone or a tablet or um, a computer. So it's, you know, it's essentially sort of a you know, another way of, of, um, a physical access control unit. So it's so, very, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Good. So I was just going to ask Rob if it, it explains in the description of the product, actually how it works. So it's a, it's a sensor on the skin that activates a switch or. Yeah. Well, th yeah, it's a, so the, the electrodes would go on to say, um, I don't know, uh, part of your, your, I'm not exactly sure. I've never, I've, we haven't actually seen the unit on somebody, so I'm, I'm just assuming. But whatever muscle you want to be, you want the, the switch to be. So you could, I guess it, it could be like your fingers, or your hand. The, the unit can sense when you're using the muscle. When that muscle is, is moved, it detects the bioelectrical signal and then sends that signal to the switch. Which then performs the action you're trying to do. Right. Okay. So, and, and I mean, I should mention too that, you know, sorry, I'm not actually describing that right, is that you don't even need to move the muscle. You just need to think about moving the muscle. Right. And it senses the bioelectric uh, um, energy, which activates the switch. So people with limited mobility that can't necessarily move their finger, if they're, if they're thinking about moving their finger, it senses it and, and then sends that signal to the switch. Right. Because um, especially for people that are not are not, uh, able to move their muscles or, or or move their fingers properly, you know, it, it makes a, it makes a lot of sense to have the, that somebody's working on this is developing this sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would it'd be perfect this for type of technology, I should say. Yeah, it would be perfect for people like say CP or or LAS. Um, ALS. Those, 
Did you know what he said? He said LAS. <laughs> LAS. That's because he went ALS. Oh, God. <laughs> cold medication. I know. I'm going to blame the cold medication on that one. Yeah, no. So this is, it's, and it's pricey technology. It's, it's a, it's a unit. It's made by um, Control Bionics. <coughs> and the unit itself uh, has a price tag of about uh, $13,000. I'm assuming that's US. So it's not cheap. Uh, it's pretty cutting edge though. And I mean, the nice thing about it is that it's non-invasive too. I mean, it, mm-hmm. so, I mean, this is kind of like next, you know, next gen switches. I mean, you know, I don't know how many years before this becomes a little bit more commonplace and, and cheaper. Yeah. Cause we've done shows on robotics before and cybernetics to some degree where, you know, people have had, you know, a chip implanted under their skin, which is, you know, be able to detect impulses and allow them to, you know, move their hand or grab a cup or whatever you know this i think gives you a, some of the same functionality but like you say it, it's on the surface of the skin and still allows you to have that you know freedom of motion that's right and anyone and it, the the unit also it works um with the apple switch control for example or the uh the google switch access um, software that's that's built into like Android devices and right. and obviously into Apple devices. So, um, yeah, it sounds pretty cool. It's it's you know it'd be it'd be fascinating to actually uh, hear from somebody who's who's tried it out and see how well it works. Well, we'll have to see if there's any YouTube videos or documentaries out there <coughs> online, and you know maybe at some point see if we can get somebody on the show to talk about it. Yeah, or even talk to the manufacturer. It might be interesting to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we've done, you know, shows on brain-computer interfaces and yep. all that sort of stuff. So it's interesting. You know, a lot of the same switch access stuff that, you know, we've seen in our past experiences. Um, you know, on-screen keyboards, um, give them access to email, you know, the World Wide Web. Like you said, the phones, iOS, Android. Right. Um, you can probably include switch access in, in some home automation stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so somebody who has thirteen grand to blow, you know, by all means, buy one and, and uh, let us <laughs> come on the show. <coughs> Very interesting, for sure. Okay, last story. Bum, uh, bum. Uh, hey, the hey. Google Assistant is going to gain multilingual support, more languages, and deeper device integrations, Ryan. Yay, so you'll be able to speak Spanish to your Google Home. No, you won't. Oh, okay. uh, I think what they're starting out with is English, French, and German. All ah, right. Well, i got to start somewhere. No, but they are rolling out. Uh, they confirm by year's end uh, the Google Home will be available in more than 30 languages. Wow. That's very, you know, it's very fascinating to me. You know, the Google Home is all, it's some, it, it's, I'm very fascinated by it because it can do so many things. You know, whether you have a mini or whether you have a the regular or the max, et cetera, you know, I, I mean, so. Yeah, you know, I actually posted something probably a month or so ago now on, I think there was an article that the Google Home has the ability to perform a million different things. On the blog? Did you post the word you posted on the blog? I don't remember if I just posted it on Twitter or what I did with it, because it's been a while now. On the on the AT Banter uh, uh, podcast, on the AT underscore Banter Twitter feed? Or? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> so you know, if the Google Home can do like a million things, 
you know, that's the one thing I like about the Google Home is if you can think of something to ask it, chances are it'll probably come back with an answer. With the Amazon Echo, it's all based on skills. So as developers release more and more skills, you get more and more functionality built into the Echo. And the Google Home is also more simpler to set up and, and, and stuff as well. I didn't find, you know, either one to be easier than the other. Um, you know, I got the Amazon Echo. I think more straightforward. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, it, it's just kind of, you know, one company does it one way and the other does it its yeah, own way. That, but, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I had the Amazon Echo Dot first. And, you know, that was my first entry into voice assistance. And, you know, I used it to listen to music from Spotify and I would ask it some questions. But... You know, and it was okay. Um, I installed or enabled some different skills to kind of play with it. But my problem with the Amazon Echo is that there are so many skills to choose from that you start enabling three or four or five or more skills. They all have their own ways that you have to speak to get that skill to respond to you. Yeah. Whereas the Google Home is a more natural language. So that's my two cents. Yeah, well, the other thing that's interesting about about uh, some of this, some of these firmware updates, <clears throat> is that they're also working closely with some of the manufacturers, so that they're going to be making specific commands that for specific devices, which I thought was kind of interesting too. It is getting interesting so, though, because I've also heard rumors lately that Spotify is talking about developing their own smart speaker. Facebook is talking about developing their own smart speaker with a 13-inch screen built in. Yes, yeah, I heard about that. You know, it's like, well, why? smart devices, <laughs> smart devices are going to be the newest thing. Very interesting. You know, this long, we're, I think we're living in interesting times now. Uh, and the only other thing that the, this press release says is that in the short term, Google has announced that routines and location-based reminders are coming soon. And routines, you do you know about routines, Ryan? Uh, I think it's probably like an if this then that. Yeah, that's so. right. Yeah, you can you can ch sort of chain commands right together and and sort of bundle them. So you could say, you know, hey Google, what? I'm home, and then it would automatically do like turn on the lights, turn on the thermostat, turn on. Well, you could even have if you had the the right sensors and stuff. If you had the right sense sensors in your home, you could already have it set up so that when your motion sensor at your front door detects that you're home. The lights go on, the alarm goes off, the thermostat gets turned up, the blinds get drawn. You know, all that stuff gets done automatically. And and that's really cool. Yes, it is. So, you know, it's nice to see, you know, I, I love the fact that they're continuing to, to develop and improve the the devices. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's exciting. Yeah, uh, I'm going to just now, Rob, you brought, you brought up the, the, the privacy thing. So I'm going to just throw this out here. Um, as well, and um, if we have uh, some time here, we yeah, you can comment. You guys can comment on it. Do you guys think that the devices like the the Google Home and Amazon Echo are that there are privacy concerns with them? Because I, because I think were you going to say something? No, go ahead. Um, that uh, because I feel because. Um, because for me, like, I, I would feel that, you know, I wonder how easily are they hacked, right? Because they're, these devices are cool in many ways, but they're kind of a cause in a sense for concern in a way, too, because of, you know, who knows what's being, 
uh, transmitted and what, what are they picking up and that sort of thing. I, I have a Google Home and I have an Amazon Echo here in the Guitar yeah. Dungeon. Yep. And I've got two thoughts on this. A, for years now, people have saying have a strong password. The only way these things can get hacked is if somebody's already on your network. It's, if they're in your network, your smart TV could be hacked, your stove could be hacked, your thermostat could be hacked. You're screwed either way. It's got nothing to do with the digital assistance. The other side of that coin is if you believe in, in privacy nowadays, you need to give your head a shake because I don't believe there's such thing as privacy anymore. We're being watched and monitored everywhere we go. No, exactly. Especially like, especially now in the online world, right? Especially in the online world, I don't really think that it should be something that, that people should really concern themselves with. As long as they're aware of their online activities and whatnot, then you're, you, you'll be fine. Yeah, I, <clears throat> yeah. I'll be honest with you, Ali. I haven't really given much thought to the like. I have a Google Home now, thanks to Ryan, um, and I haven't given really. Do you have the Mini or the Max? I uh, just the the normal, just the normal, the, just the, the normal Home. Yeah, no, no, not the Mini. There's the Mini, the there, Home. There was the original, and the Max, the original Google Home I had, and I gave to Rob, sold to Rob, and I bought a Google Home Mini. But uh, but I, I mean I don't I don't really give it much thought um, you know privacy and that that doesn't doesn't concern me I don't really care if uh, you know what I'm asking my Google Home to do uh, gets sent to a server somewhere uh, you know uh, you know I, I'm kind of with Ryan I mean so much of our our you know information mining is so prevalent these days uh, it's the new currency in in terms of marketing currency. Um, yep. So, you know, we're, I, I we're, totally agree. I totally agree with you, uh, with you guys on that. Uh, but um, I just because, you know, because you hear that often, too, that, you know, how like that, um, how easily are they hacked and that sort of thing. Right? So I want to get your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I don't you know, like I said, if, if they're in your network, yeah. they're already in your network and they're <laughs> going to turn your temperature up or down and they're going to change the time on your smart TV and, you know, you're hosed. But yeah, I think I think as as more as as home automation uh, becomes more common, I think that you're going to find that the the security measures behind that also get get amped up. Um, you know, I, I don't think right now it's concerned because I don't think anybody's real. I've I've never heard of a report of anybody's. Um, you know, home automation system being hacked. There's people that have hacked into baby monitors, though. <laughs> has there? So yeah. So there has been some security, but you know, usually the the result is because people just left on the generic password. They never went in and changed the passwords. So if you know the password's password or one two three four, it's really easy to hack into a system. <laughs> sure. But I mean, I remember hearing the same arguments back when broadband became a first became a thing. You know, when we were the 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 world of you know, going from a dial-up modem to being connected to the internet all the time, mm -hmm. there was the same kind of thing. It was like, oh, geez, people are going to be able to hack you really easily if you're connected to the internet all the time. And, and you know, what happened was, you know, just security measures got got strengthened. We have we had bigger and better antiviruses, and we, you know, Windows built in a, a built-in firewall. And so, you know, I, I think the the industry will respond if security becomes an issue all right well whew. 
What an epic news show. <laughs> that was We Talked Up a Storm. Excellent. Hey, Allie, thanks so much for helping us out today and, and stepping in and filling in for Steve. Oh, no problem. You know, I, I would be, you know, I would be happy to do it again. Well, we will, we will certainly take you up on that, sir. Well, absolutely. Anytime you just, just let me know and I'd be happy to do it. Okay. Again. I would, in fact, I know I, I would enjoy doing it again. It was a, we had um, a lot of topics, a lot of ground that we covered. Yeah, we and I did. Think we, I, I felt we all covered, um, we all had some great opinions, I felt. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Ryan, Rob, where can people find us? They can find us online at www.atbanter.com. They can also email us if they so desire, uh, atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. I almost screwed it up. That's right. Uh, we, they can also find us on Facebook, and they can find us on Twitter, and they can find us on Instagram. And for those people who are looking for Steve Barkley and his company, Canadian Assistive Technology, you can find him at www.canasstech.com. And they can also find Mr. Rick Chant at Chaos Technical Services for all your assistive technology servicing needs at www.chaostechnicalservices.com. So, Ryan? Yes, sir. I think we're done. We're done. All right. Let's go. It's another show in the bag. Yay. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you all next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com.